Can I pray for us? Hey, God, thanks so much for your word and a chance just to open it now. And as we uh, tackle one of these texts that happen in the scripture that are sometimes hard to understand and, and, uh, and parse out, you know, in, in definite ways, I pray that we're able to do that this morning, that we would come away with uh, what James is trying to tell us is that, you know, which is that faith that works is what faith is. It's a faith that shows up in how we live. Uh, God, I pray that you would continue to shape our minds and help us to understand you and, uh, and, and to acknowledge you in our thoughts. But would you help us to take those thoughts and make them real in our lives? Would we have, um, you know, a synchronized life where what we say and think about you is, is how we live in, in, in life for you? So, um, as always, get me out of the way, speak in my place, uh, grant us your grace this morning in hearing you, and then help us to walk from here changed by you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been studying this great book in the backs uh, of your Bibles called the book of James. It was written by James. He's the half-brother of Jesus himself. Uh, he was the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. And that's not like, you know, just one of the churches in Jerusalem. It was the first church and only church in Jerusalem uh, around, uh, you know, 45 A.D. In 49 A.D., he writes this letter uh, to the, the Christians or the Jewish Christians who've been dispersed abroad. And uh, he, he writes them to encourage them, and he just uh, very clearly states a lot of just important theological truths for us, tells us to take it all, or consider it all joy when trials come upon us. Uh, remember that? Anybody had trials since I preached that message? Anybody had a few things that they had to uh, exercise that truth in? Uh, he uses trials to toughen us and to teach us about himself and to, and to, and to mature us in our lives with him. He told us to to pray, but to pray believing. I, I hope you're praying believing. When you pray, you pray believing that God can do what you uh, ask him to do. Uh, he told us about sin and how it works so that we could avoid it. He, he told us to be not just hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. I pray that happens every week that we're hanging out. I hope I'm not just up here flapping my gums. All right? I pray that the things that God says through me and through his word as you read it and as you hear other speakers, those are the things that you're like, ah, oh, I gotta do that and uh, they become a part of your life. Last week we talked about the fact that God is not uh, a God of favorites, and uh, therefore we should not be uh, as well. And so uh, may God grant us uh, that ability to uh, uh, you know, show love equally to all people, uh, regardless, uh, just like he shows love to us unconditionally. Today we wanna to talk about faith. Faith, and the fact that faith works. This is one of those texts in the scriptures uh, that when Martin Luther, the uh, reformer, uh, back in the, not Martin Luther King, he's a great man too, but, uh, but Martin Luther, uh, when he uh, uh, came across this uh, particular book of the Bible and started commenting on it, he said, this is a right straw-y epistle, which I don't think I've ever said in an English sentence myself, but uh, uh, what he means was, there's some problems here. I, I'm uncomfortable with some of the things that James is teaching, and what he was referring to is the, the verses we're about to read, because Marty Luther, uh, he liked to be called Marty by his friends, he uh, uh, he, he was kind of the, the, the bell cow. He was the one who kind of you know, sounded the alarm in the Catholic Church and says, hey, we're way off base here. It's almost all works based in our religion, and that's just not how we roll, at least according to Scripture. He read Ephesians, and Ephesians taught him that it's by grace through faith that we are saved, and it's not by our works. He came up basically with a statement something like this, that uh, our justification is ours by faith Alone, he read the book of Romans where it says, uh, Paul there writing that we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And so in the times of Christ and, 
And then the times subsequent to that, we've had this constant battle between religion and relationship, between people thinking it's all the, wrapped up in the things that I can do for God that make me righteous or that make me worthy of him. And what, what God teaches in his word is that uh, there are none righteous. Quit trying. I mean, that's too strong, but, but, but don't think that your, your efforts are going to make you righteous before me or make you worthy of me. They're, they're just not. Instead, have a relationship with me through faith in Jesus Christ. Accept the grace, the gift that I give you in him. And that's what's gonna save you. Quit trying, start trusting. We understand that. There's certain things in our lives that we can't do for ourselves. We gotta bring someone in. Spiritually speaking, that was Jesus. We could not save ourselves from our sins. Jesus had to die on the cross for that to happen. I could not do certain projects in my house by myself, like 98% of them. <laughs> There's this one floor that uh, we have that uh, is just off the garage going into our hallway and it goes into our laundry room. It's those long planks that you see now, the ceramic planks, you know what I'm talking about? They're four feet long and eight inches wide or something like that. And it looks like a wood floor, but it's not. Surprise, right? Uh, I'd never laid a tile floor in my life. Not tile one. And Eleanor and I loved the look of that, and so I went and bought every uh, pallet of it that I could or whatever I needed for the project and brought it home. And then I brought my friend Osha over uh, to kind of, you know, uh, survey what's going on with this. And uh, you know what Osha said to me? Knowing me, he said, you know what, Mark? Why don't you just let me do this one for you? (laughs) And I'm really grateful that I did because he had to, like, pour self-leveling cement just to make the floor even enough so that he could put this tile down. And even, uh, even as he was putting the tiles down, there's... Apparently, I'm not a tile layer, but it's, it's, it's more complex to lay a rectangle tile than a square one because the corners on this end can bubble up and da 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 And then you're tripping as you come into the house and people sue you when they come over. I mean, that's bad, right? So uh, OSHA did it perfectly, or as far as perfect looks to me. Um, and I'm certain that I could not have done as well. That's what Paul's teaching. You're just not going to do this salvation thing as well as Jesus will. Give up. Trust him. All right? In Romans uh, 4, verse 5, it says this as we continue on. It says that to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, read Jesus, uh, his faith is counted as righteousness. I could read you verse after verse on this. Is everybody happy with what I've given you? Let's move on then. It's by faith that we are saved. Justification comes by faith alone. But there's this, uh, this misunderstanding about faith, and that's what we want to tackle today. Lots of ways that you can define faith. Faith certainly has, in any definition, a component of belief. But what James is going to argue today is that faith goes way beyond just mental assent, way beyond just believing in God or believing in Jesus and that he came to die for our sins. It it goes into affecting how we live our lives. Now, what he's going to say is that salvation is ours by a faith that is not alone. And this is the confusing part, the part that Martin Luther kind of got his hackles up over. He's like, wait a minute. It can't be both. So, so let me kind of clarify it by this. If this is the, uh, the, the, the finish line of our faith, if, if this is us crossing over from death to life, from darkness to light, from not having faith in Jesus to having a relationship with him, here's what Paul and many of the other writers of the scriptures teaches us. On this side of this line of faith, your works cannot and do not help you, all right? It's by faith alone that we enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ and cross that line. Everybody with me? On this side of our salvation decision, 
Our faith is proven. It is pronounced and substantized. That's not the right word, but it, was, it is shown. There, that's even easier. One syllable. It is shown by the fact that our works, our lives, are radically different because we've made that faith without works on the front side of this decision. Our faith is our proof. Or excuse me, our works is our proof of our faith. Look what he says, and this is borne out in what, what James teaches here in chapter 2 of his book. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? This is a rhetorical question. You know what the answer is in James's mind? It's no good at all. It doesn't make sense at all that you would go to this you know, extent of, of believing in God, believing in his son Jesus, and it doesn't change your life. He asks again, he says, can that faith save him? And his answer is going to be, uh, no. It's just a faith that has a mental assent, a belief in, an understanding of. But it hasn't changed a person's life. We see that in our lives, lots of different places. I sat down at a couple different uh, foundations, uh, charity gatherings, uh, where they were asking people to, uh, you know, be willing to give towards their causes this week. And one, uh, the Women's Resource Center, they had a, a luncheon this week. I went and sat down, and Eleanor and I just looked at each other and said, yeah, we want to be a part of supporting this organization because we know the pe- they're housed right here on our campus. We know the people involved. We know the mission involved. We've seen the results in the lives of folks. We believe in what's happening at the Women's Resource Center. So uh, we got involved. Our belief had action. I went to this other one, and I, listen, I think it's a great organization. I think it's, uh, it's got a great mission, but it, it doesn't have my support on the level that Women's Resource Center does because, well, I'm just not involved in that one as much as other, or as, as much as uh, I am with Women's Resource Center. It's, it's kind of, how about this? It's kind of like dating and marriage. Anybody remember those? Yeah. So when I started dating Eleanor, uh, uh, which was a blast, we were in college, and couldn't wait to see her again, and I'd write her notes, because that's what we used to do before technology happened, right? Everybody who writes texts now with your thumbs, you used to have to use a pen. Anyway, uh, but I'd write her notes, and I'd stalk her on campus in a good way, and uh, I'd wait for her to get out of classes sometimes so I could walk her places. And I, you know, we'd see each other whenever we could. I'd love to see her on the weekends, right? But as our, our love for each other progressed, we went through three and a half uh, years, roughly, of ups and downs, uh, we finally decided this is it. And we started hurtling towards commitment. Uh, about three or four months after we got together the last time, I asked her to marry me. Uh, and, and, and that started signaling some changes in our relationship. Uh, nine months later, we were married. And then the change was complete. That girl came home with me. <laughs> and we started figuring out uh, just how selfish we are through that 24-7, 365 uh, day experience called marriage. Everybody remember what I'm talking about? You thought you were cool, but then you got married, and you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a dog. I'm, a, what? I'm really selfish. And so um, uh, in those selfish moments, when our selfishness would come to the fore and we'd have uh, arguments and disagreements about who we were and stuff like that, um, our commitment to each other in marriage led us to change, not perfectly, still working on it 25 years later, but led us to change who we were for the sake of our commitment. I think there's a lot of people in the church who are dating God. Love to see him on the weekends. 
crazy about them, talk about them on Facebook, forward stuff, like the idea of them, especially the grace and mercy and love parts, those are great. But our belief, our dating of God is, is kind of this like uncommitted belief. It's this, we're involved, but we're not one. And what James is arguing here is that well, that's not a, a belief at all. That's not a faith at all. Now, now, now let me pause here, because some of you are like, well, Mark, this, I mean, I'm not perfect. Hey, join the crowd, right? Uh, you're not looking at a perfect dude up here. Perfection is not something that I um, even uh, uh, hope to achieve in this lifetime. I mean, I don't mean to be like just, you know, give myself a break, but, but it's just we're going to war against the old man and against flesh for the rest of our lives until we are redeemed and given perfection in the life that is to come. That's what we, we understand from Scripture. So I'm not saying that you should be perfect in your commitment to Christ, that you should, could ever be perfect, but here's what I am saying. If you believed in Jesus at some time and nothing changed, if, if you've always believed in Jesus, always gone to church, always kind of been around the scene, uh, but nothing has gone beyond that simple belief to a life of commitment and change in how you live, you've got to wonder if that's real faith. You've got to wonder if that's, as James is arguing here, the faith that saved you. Because even though we can't, you know, uh, I think in this life experience perfection, we should experience progression. We should be, uh, by God's grace, uh, uh, kind of like the Dow Jones that we would love to have, you know, if we bought a stock here, we want it to go kind of, maybe there's ups and downs, but steady and up to the left or right or whatever the chart's supposed to be. You want it going up, right? Progression. You might fall back in certain moments, but you learn from those mistakes, and you continue to progress in your faith in Jesus Christ. That's a faith that saves, a faith that is constantly challenging us and changing the ways that we think and speak and do. Bottom line, our, our works uh, can never save us. That's what Paul and others in the scriptures teach us. Only faith can. Everybody agree? But a faith that fails to shape our works apparently can't save us either. It's not an, a valid faith, a true faith. If it's just what we think and not how we live, we've got to wonder if it's faith at all. Or make these. You've got to be a certain age to remember these. Do they still make these kids? Do you guys still make these in class? I thought everything was on the iPad now. You just made planes on your iPad. Anyway, uh, this is a big one. I could probably put an eye out with this, so I'm not going to throw it. But uh, we used to make these all the time. And uh, uh, we would sit there, and some guys were really good at it. I actually asked different kids in my class if they would fold mine because, again, it's one of those home improvement things. But... uh, Let's just put it like this. When it comes to our lives with Jesus and our faith in him, he wants both faith and works. Once we've crossed over by faith alone into a relationship with him, uh, he, he wants and desires our faith to change how we live. Now, if I were to take either of these off, I mean, faith comes off, uh, is this thing going to fly? Okay, but if I take works off, and, and this is something that's very popular in the church today, is, 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 is a, an overemphasis on grace and a de-emphasis on the things uh, of obedience and trust and compliance with God and what he wants. 
But if I take my works off and just say, hey man, grace covers it, faith's good, is this thing gonna fly? No. It's both and. Faith alone saves us, but faith in our works proves that we have experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ because he changes how we live. So let's go on with the text and answer this question today. Why does God require a faith that works? Well, the first thing that we see is that faith without works, according to James, is useless. It's just useless, it's not practical. It doesn't make a change. And we cannot, can everybody agree with me that once sin came into the world, God uh, set himself to redeeming what was broken, to bringing change and restoration back to the world? Well, if, if he's got a church full of people who just mentally assent to his existence and kind of believe that he's there, but it, that they're not committed to being used by him to make a difference in the world, what, what good is that? His mission goes uh, undone. He's like, no. A, a, a faith that doesn't change how you act is, is useless. It, it's, it, it's like this. It's like this guitar over here. Uh, this is the guitar I was given when I graduated from seminary by my parents. It's one of my uh, only, you know, well, not I treasure my wife and kids and all that stuff, but like a material thing. Is everybody happy that I do that? Is everybody happy that I treasure my wife and my kids? But, uh, but materially, I mean, I'm just, I don't have a lot of stuff that I'm like, I can't, you know, be without that. But this would be one of those things. It's precious to me. My parents, my dad, when he was alive, you know, a musician gave me this guitar, and I've played it for 20 years now or 15 years, whatever it is. Um, but can anybody tell what's wrong with this guitar right now? No strings. And what James is basically saying is like, hey, man, you got this great, beautiful, uh, potentially awesome, uh, you know, instrument in your life, this faith that you have in me, uh, but your actions, your works are the strings. And without those, without, without you, know, you accomplishing things in my name and being submitted to me and trusting me and obeying me and all the things that I command, you can't make the music that I want you to make in your faith in me. I mean, I can, this is a drum now, but that's not why we built this thing, right? It was meant to shred. <laughs> Look what James says. He says this. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, he, he keeps talking about the poor in his, his, his writings. Have you noticed that? It's kind of a theme. He started with orphans and widows in the first chapter. He talked last week about a rich guy and a poor guy coming in and us showing favoritism to the rich guy and kind of telling the poor guy to sit on the floor. He says, but listen, man, get my point. He says, if, if our faith is true faith, it's changed how we look at everything in the world and how we act accordingly. He says, listen, if someone comes in, he's poorly clothed, he's lacking in daily food, and one of you says to that guy, hey, wow, looks like you've had a rough day. You know what? I'm going to pray for you. Go in peace. Be warmed and be filled. Let me confer this blessing over you. Be warmed, be filled. I hope someone else gives you some food. I hope someone else gives you some clothes. Man, I'm for you, brother because I'm a Christian, and that's what I was told to be. We do all those things, give all that speechy stuff, but without, uh, or, or, ref, or refuse or, or, or fail to give them something that they need for their body, then what good is it? If this is just all for show, all for speech, what good is it? We're gonna be having Christmas here in a little while. Has anybody ever wrapped up presents just for show in your house? Like there's nothing in the box. But ladies, you just want to kind of decorate, so you get a bunch of empty boxes and you wrap them up in the paper and you put them all around the place. 
I remember as a little kid going into houses thinking, man, these guys are going to have just a killer Christmas. Look at all these boxes around here. And then I remember like walking up to one of them, you know, because you're not supposed to shake them, at least in my house. I was like, we'll take that away. But, but in our house, we weren't supposed to shake them. But I remember one time being in this house with all these presents underneath the tree, and I picked one up, and I was like, that's a dud. And then I picked another one up, and I just kept shaking all these empty boxes, and I'm like, oh, what a ripoff. Christmas is going to stink in here. And I think sometimes that's people's approach to Christianity. Just wrap it up nice, make all the right speeches, say all the right things, post the right stuff on Facebook. But when push comes to shove, has our faith changed how we live? James says, man, if it, if it hasn't, then what good is it? It accomplishes nothing. Not only that, he says this. He says, listen, why is a faith that works so important? Uh, so, okay, so also a faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That, that's pretty strong. Does everybody see that? He doesn't say it's just kind of suffering. It's kind of, you know, on life support. It's just not there. Look, here's the next point I want to make. It says, uh, faith is proven by works. And I've kind of been asserting that all morning. Faith is, is proven by the things that we do. Uh, I, wouldn't it be great if we had some kind of app that when we walked into a room, our phone uh, could somehow make Christians turn orange, right? Wouldn't that be great? Because then you could know who all the, you don't want to be orange, Greg? We, well, different color for you, okay? But like, uh, but it'd be great if you could kind of just, you know, scan the crowd and be like, you know, brother, sister, brother, sister. I mean, for evangelism purposes alone, you could be like, all right, don't talk to them. Don't waste time. They're already in. Let me talk to them. Um, but we don't have that, Right? There's no wand like you have at the airport that could, you know, uh, you know, test the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. There's nothing like that, right? So how do we know if someone has put their faith in Jesus Christ? Well, surely there could be some people who are doing a lot of works and don't know Jesus. Uh, it's got to be both, right? But for those who claim to know Jesus, who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it will show up in their fruit. Jesus was teaching one day and he says, hey, can figs come from from a thorn bush? Can good fruit come from a bad tree? He's like, no, man. Everything shows up in the lives of a person. It shows up in how they live, in the choices they make, in the things that they do. He talked about um, uh, uh, the parable of the sower. Remember that one? Farmer goes out and drops seeds. He drops seeds on four different types of soil. The first three, all of them, uh, in different ways, but all of them failures in really producing a plant and a harvest. But he says, you know what? If you drop seeds in the right soil and a person truly receives my gospel, receives my truth, guess what happens? Poof, production. He brings uh, forth a, a, a harvest of 30 and 60 and 100 times uh, his, his gain. He, he, Fruit bears out. Look what James says here. He says this. He says, but someone will say, and he's going to bring someone else into the argument here. He says, someone's going to say, you have faith and I have works. Ever, anybody ever been in a conversation with someone and someone else comes in and you're listening, they're listening to you talk about who's better, Florida State or Florida or whatever, and he's like, neither, who cares, Miami, whatever. Uh, that's kind of dumb. But, uh, um, but, he, but they just come in and they, they basically 
just diffuse the whole thing and say, you know what, it just doesn't matter. They're all football teams. It just doesn't matter. We all get to the, you know, this is a huge thing right now. If you've seen the bumper stickers on people's cars, coexist. All the religions work, right? It just doesn't matter. Flip, 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 flop, 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 and off we go, okay? Uh, This flippant guy comes in and says, you have faith, I have works, no big whoop. Well, James says, no, big whoop. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you true faith by my works. It's not in there, but it's what he means. He says, you believe that God is one? Good for you, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Just so you know, uh, Satan and his followers, they've got impeccable theology, aside from one thing that they think that they can defy God and win. But as far as knowing doctrine, as far as knowing your scriptures, you think when Satan was tempting Jesus, he knew a little bit about the Bible? Yeah, because how did he tempt Jesus? He would come to Jesus and be like, hey, you know, it says in Scripture this, it says in Scripture this, and Jesus would come back with, well, it also says this. Uh, Our adversary has great theology. So everybody in here has great theology, but no works, no actions. I mean, good on you, but you know who you're kind of compared to by James? Demons. And you're even kind of like you know, lowered a little bit because at least demons have the common sense to shudder. You know, you're over there thinking you're in league with God because you know a lot about God and you've been to church all your life and, and you've sat through all the sermons and, and, and you can quote scripture and stuff like that. You're awesome and you think you're awesome and you think God loves you. And he does. But you think, you know, I'm probably like, you know, fourth member of the Trinity. I'm, I'm probably up there, Right? <laughs> But James says, no, man. You're just, you're you're full of knowledge, but you lack true faith. He's arguing for this this whole thing that he said earlier, is that, you know, faith without works, it's useless. A faith without works is what proves, or faith with works is what proves that we have faith at all. Some of you... uh, Want more, so James will give you more. Need proof that faith is proven by works? James says, look at this guy, Abraham. He says this in verse 20. He says, do you want to be shown? He gets kind of feisty here, you foolish person. He's talking to that third guy who comes in the conversation and says, you got faith, I got works, whatever. He's like, listen, dummy. Do you want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless? He says this. He says, was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? That's Genesis 22. He goes on and he says this. He says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Did you see this one? Probably all the verses we read this morning. This is what I want you to understand. This is what James is saying. Faith is active along with works and faith is completed, proven, shown by our works. He goes on and he says this. He says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Ever read the Bible and you get a quote like that from the Old Testament and you just keep on going because like, yeah, I probably said that somewhere, right? Ever looked it up? He's actually quoting, that's why the quotes are there, from Genesis chapter 15, verse six. If you, if you went back in your Bible and read that, you'd, you'd see that this is the first time the word belief is ever used in the scriptures, It's the first time that believe is ever mentioned. And it's used of Abraham, that he believed in God 
and his belief was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, if we go back to the plane, he had faith. What was his faith over? Well, if you study the context uh, in, in, in Genesis 15, uh, Abraham's starting to feel pretty old. He doesn't have a son yet. That was kind of the whole promise that God gave him when he left Ur and started moving towards the promised land that he was in. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna make you uh, uh, the father of many descendants. You're gonna have all of these people. I'm gonna bless the entire world through you. And up to this point, Abraham's an old dude. In his 70s, he doesn't even have a kid yet. And so he comes to God once in a prayer uh, around this time of his life, and he says, God, I'm gonna have to like, give all my stuff to my butler. His name was Eliezer. He's like, I got no kids to, to, to give my inheritance to. I mean, what's going on here? I thought I was going to have a son. And God comes to Abraham and he says, yeah, you're going to have a son. Hey, settle down, cowboy. I got you. It's just not going to work the way you thought. But I got you. And it says that Abraham, in the midst of that conversation, believed. And it was counted to him as righteousness. It says that... Uh, that was chapter 15. It's, it's not until uh, chapter 18 or 19 that Isaac comes along, his son. And it's not until Isaac is 17 that uh, God kind of intervenes and does what he was mentioning before. Hey, Abraham, you know that kid of yours? You know what we're going to do to glorify me today? We're going to take him up on a hill and we're going to sacrifice him to me, which was a common religious practice back in those days. People killed people all the time uh, as a sacrifice to their gods. And so Abraham's thinking, you're just like all the other gods. And you're going to take this one son from me? And he says, no way. And he hides Isaac. You remember reading that in the Bible? No, you didn't read that in the Bible because Abraham was like, all right, cool. And he walks up this hill. And it tells us in Genesis chapter 22 that as he's getting ready to plunge a knife into the chest of his teenage son, he stops off with some of the servants that he's with and he says this to them. He says to the young men, the servants that were attending them, he says, stay here with the donkeys, keep the car running. That's essentially what he says. He says, I and the boy, we're gonna go up over there on that hill and we're gonna worship God. And then what does he say? It's all in the plural, by the way. And then we're gonna come again to you. Uh, that is a faith that propels action. He was so confident in his God, so confident that his promises were sure, so confident that uh, he, he had given him Isaac as an old man. Remember that, he and Sarah? Old, old people. Uh, if he could give us a son miraculously in our old age, he can figure right out a way to subvert death. Uh, we're going to be right back. And if you know the story, it was a test of Abraham's faith. Would Abraham be willing to give up what he had been promised for the sake of his God. Was God first in his life or was this promised son more important? And Abraham was willing. And God said, all right, good. Just wanted to make sure. Now you're worthy of this blessing that I give you because your faith has shown up in how you live. Are you with me? Can we all make the connection of how important it is? And, and listen, let, let's get real practical. There's probably lots of areas where faith and works are easy for us. Where, where you know, how we live just kind of follows along with the Christian ethic and the Christian culture of our day. Uh, you put, you know, Baylife stickers on your car, where to go if you don't have one, get one, right? You got a fish maybe on the back of the other side bumper. Uh, you know, you listen to Christian radio. Uh, in most of your situations, you're not like knocking off 7-Elevens in your spare time, right? <laughs> you know, you're, you're doing the right things. But here's the deal, and we've talked about this a lot. 
uh, this first semester here of this school year, um, when we talked about Christian atheism, there's, there's this thing happening, right? Where there's areas of our life uh, that, uh, unlike the other ways that we're easily showing our, our actions and deeds, showing our Christian faith, there's other ways where it's not present at all, and it's not changing how we live. It could be in your marriage, where your marriage is suffering because you just can't get over yourself, or you can't forgive the other person, or you, or you won't work on things. It, it could be in your finances, where you're just greedy, and you won't be willing to share what God has given you with other people or with our church. It could be um, at work where you are cutthroat and you're just trying to get up the ladder as fast as you can. You don't care who it affects. It could be with your kids because when you were a kid, your parents did this to you and so you're going to get some payback somehow and it's going to go out on them. It could be in forgiveness where someone has wronged you in ways that I'll never understand but you refuse to extend forgiveness as the scriptures command because you've concocted some crazy idea that it's okay to do that. I don't know where it's showing up in your life, but here, here's what James is saying. Hey, if our faith is real, our faith really changes how we live. If our faith is real, it goes into every area of our life and it impacts the choices, the thoughts, the words that we have in whatever we face. Some of you are like, well, Abraham, he seems a bit too lofty. Do you have anybody else who's kind of more my speed? How about a prostitute? Anybody want to hear about one of those? Here we go. If Abraham's a bit too lofty for you, he brings up this lady, Rahab. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Uh, that's verse 24. Keep going for me. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Again, going back to the Old Testament, he's talking about a, a book in the Bible called Joshua, and if you're not familiar with the Bible, it, it just tells a story of how Israel came out of Egypt, kind of wandered around in the, in the outskirts of the promised land for like 40 years, and then finally it was time under this leader, a general by the name of Joshua, that they were gonna move into the promised land and, and take what had been promised to them by God. And one of the first cities that needed to go was this big, Walled city, and still in ancient history, it's, it's, one, it's the first known walled city in ancient history. Uh, it was this impenetrable, uh, you know, fortress, and uh, uh, the Jews, the Israelites, were trying to figure out, how are we going to knock this sucker down? If you know the story, they didn't even, you know, throw the first pickaxe at it. They just took a long walk, right? And then God knocked the walls down. But before they knew how God was going to make that all happen, they, they went in and spied out the, uh, the, the city, and they sent some spies in, and they met this prostitute. Her name was Rahab. She lived, in, it says, inside the city walls. It basically means she lived at the base of the city walls. She lived at the places where all the traffic would happen so that prostitutes who wanted to do what they do could get the most uh, potential customers. And she just kind of slept there on the, on the streets. Uh, she met them and uh, uh, took them in. And uh, they, she said, we've heard of you and your God. We've heard of you in this land. She had like this much knowledge to go on, just like some of you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Never read the Bible, never been to church, but you heard about Jesus and you're like, wow, I know this much, but I'm in. And that's what Rahab did. She's in. She's like, listen, I'll take care of you. I'll hide you. I'll sneak you out of here. Just remember me when you come to get Jericho. And they did. And guess where Rahab ends up? She ends up in the lineage of Jesus himself. Read Matthew 1. She's in there. And how did that all happen? For this Gentile prostitute 
in this city called Jericho? Faith and action. A faith that was proven by her deeds. The Bible goes on, it says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So what now? So what now? Mark, Mark's done preaching. What do I do now? Well, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm ringing the bell. For many of us in here, and again, I don't have the app that can tell if you're a Christian or not. That's up to you and the Holy Spirit and figuring all that stuff out. Here's what I want to tell you and what I think James is telling all of us. It's time to stop believing about God and start believing in him. Paul and Silas were prisoners in a place called Philippi. Uh, they were hanging out there uh, late one night singing songs. And if you remember that story in, uh, in Acts, uh, uh, they're singing these songs and, and uh, uh, the, the, the chains fall off of them. The doors open up. I mean, they are free to go. And the Philippian jailer who's in charge of their captivity he comes down, he sees the, the doors open and, and he, he just assumes immediately that the prisoners have escaped and, he, and he's like, that's it, I'm dead. The Romans are gonna kill me anyway. I might as well just end myself now. He's about to end himself. And you remember what Paul says? Hey, bro, we're right here. Settle down. Put the knife down, man. This is extreme. You're, you're getting a little out of hand here. And he peeks around, and there they are. All these crazy singing Christians still in their cells. And this is what he says to them. He says, after he brings them out of her cells, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, we, we, we talk about that all the time when we talk about uh, you know, saving faith. Believe in Jesus, accept Jesus into your hearts, right? And that's certainly a part of it, but, but we, we, kinda, we, we don't understand what the Greek is saying here. When it says believe in, it's pistusin epi. Pistusin is believe. And then epi is this, uh, this preposition, basically, in the Greek language, that, that goes way beyond mental ascent. Epi means I'm gonna put my full weight on. I'm gonna lean towards. I'm gonna quit resting in myself and I'm gonna go this way with who I am. Even in his communication with the Philippian jailer, Paul is saying, hey man, it's not enough just to have the knowledge of who God is. It's not just enough to be impressed with the miracles that God does. It's not just enough to, to see him on the weekends and date him in your life. You've gotta commit. You've gotta not just know about God, you've gotta believe in God and rest yourself on him. It's like this chair, and I'll close with this as we get ready to sing. Everybody came in this morning, sat down on one of these, anybody standing? Some of you are in the stand in the back, what's up? You guys believe that these chairs could hold you? Because everybody else sitting down did. You just all walked in, you're like, pa-pow! Ooh, soft, ooh, right? I sat down in a chair in Honduras on a mission trip there once. Uh, it didn't hold me. It was made out of a very lower-grade plastic that is not prepared for the American con you know, contours. <laughs> and uh, uh, the legs came out from underneath me, remember? Painful stuff. Uh, did I sit in another one of those chairs the whole time I was in Honduras? Uh, no. Uh, it was embarrassing once. We're not going to do that again. But I come in and I sit down on these all the time. Why? Because I've sat down them a hundred times. I, I know it works. And most of us, if we were asked about Jesus, we, we know he works. Here's, here's what I'm telling you. He wants to work in every phase of your life, even in the things that you're not letting him work in yet. And so would you and I 
Quit believing about God and believe in God. In God. Would we let it be Jesus in everything that we are and everything that we do? Would we honor him first, look to him first, trust him, obey him, love him, and love those that he loves? Would we allow that to happen so that our faith can be seen in how we live? That's a faith that saves. It's a faith that changes our works and aligns them with the person of Christ. So let's stand. Let's sing this song today and let's think about what we're singing in terms of what we've just heard from his word. That in every area of our lives we'd allow Jesus to influence who we are, what we think, what we say, and what we do. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for our very being. Everything that we have and are is because you've given it to us. And we thank you for this day and a chance to remember you in it and a chance to worship you. As we sing about your son Jesus, I pray that the heart's cry of every person in this room is that you would be first in every area of our lives, not just in how we think, but in how we live and the things that we say, the things that we do. Whether we're feeling abandoned, whether we're being blessed by acclaim, uh, whether the, uh, the fires and the flame ar- arise around us, whatever we find ourselves in, God, uh, would we choose you and our faith in you first to influence what we do and what we say and what we think? Uh, lead us down to our lives, into those areas that maybe we've been uh, reticent to trust you with. Uh, Lord, uh, loosen our grip around those things so that you can have your way in us. Thank you, lastly, for your son, Jesus, and for his work on our behalf. I'm so grateful that my works uh, aren't required of me because they'd never be enough uh, to bring me back into relationship with you. But because of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, because of his sinlessness, I can look to him and his perfection, and you can impute that to me through my faith in him. So thank you uh, for Jesus, and I pray this in his name.